This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. After so many years of credit card debt, to be able to pay for travel or even just have money left over in general makes me feel like I must be forgetting to pay a bill. I guess maybe this trip felt a little more guilty, like I should be using that money for something else. This is Money Confidential, a podcast from Real Simple about our money stories, struggles, and secrets. I'm your host, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez, and today we're talking to a 41-year-old listener from the suburbs of Washington, D.C., who we're calling Sharon, not her real name. My parents, I don't recall them teaching us about money, and I think that's a generational thing. Oh, we just don't talk about money. I think I thought money literally must have grown on a tree. So when Sharon left home and went to college, she took out student loans to pay for her tuition and living expenses. But whenever she needed extra spending money to fix her car or to pay her cell phone bill or to just go out with her girlfriends, she'd call her dad. Not that we asked for anything extravagant, but I remember the first time my dad told me no in college. This was well into college and my money habits were not good. And I was like... (sighs) Did he just tell me no? Now, 20 plus years later, I'm like, why didn't he tell me no sooner? I wish he had just said, no, you have a job, you're in college, you need to take care of that. But at that point, her dad saying no didn't change the money habits Sharon had already developed. I got my first credit card in college. I was walking through our student union and the rugby team was giving away t-shirts or something if you signed up for a credit card. And I was like, oh, they're so cute. Sure, I'll sign up. I mean, I used that card for everything. I took cash advances out on it. And a few years later, Sharon opened up another credit card. She was at the store buying a greeting card for a friend when she got to checkout and heard a version of that familiar question, would you like to open up a store card and save 10% on your purchase today? I mean, that $5 greeting card cost me thousands in interest and because I used that card also to live off of. So it was years of bad habits like that, signing up for lots of store credit cards, two different consolidation loans to pay off while still using the cards that I paid off. And I screwed up on both. I was really embarrassed. Was there a turning point for you? Not until my Mm mid-30s where I was like, this is nuts. What are you doing? At that point, Sharon was making what she calls pretty good money. But between her credit card balances, student loans, and other consumer debt, it still felt like it was never enough. It felt like I was always struggling and just feeling sorry for myself. I finally was just like, I have to do something about this. So in September 2015, Sharon started tracking her debts and her debt repayment in an Excel spreadsheet. 15,000 left in student loan, 26,000 in credit cards, and about 5k left on my last car. Every month I'd go in and put in what I owed, what the minimum was when it was due. When COVID lockdowns hit in 2020, Sharon was able to pay down her debt even faster as her job allowed her to work remotely and she found herself spending less and less on commuting costs, eating out, and other expenses she'd had when spending full days at the office like paying for her dog to be walked. 
I hit the zero mark of all my old debt in January 2021. Paying off the credit card, I think that was the month I turned 40. I was blown away. I was like, how did I do that? And then paying the student loan, that was very exciting to pay off. That just kind of like lingered over my head. And so it was just like, wow, this is a weird feeling. And since then, I'm like, I refuse to go back to where I was. Which brings us to what Sharon is struggling to figure out now. When you've worked so hard to break your bad money habits, stop overspending, and pay off your past debts, how do you start giving yourself permission to spend money again on the things that you want, but you don't necessarily need, like travel? I just pulled the trigger on booking. What to me was an expensive vacation. It was like over $2,500. I've never paid upfront for anything like that. Years past, it's been, I'll put it on a credit card and I'll worry about it later. I worked really hard to get into a position where I could take a trip like that and shouldn't feel guilt about it. Because not only has Sharon paid off her past debt, she's also been saving aggressively ever since. I've never had that much money in savings. I get money, every paycheck, direct deposited. Like I don't even see it. It goes right into that account. But every now and then I like to go look at the total. I wonder if looking at the numbers makes you feel a little bit more secure in your ability to spend money. I think maybe I should like once a month like go in and be like, that is my money. I have even extra money in a savings account attached to my checking account that I just pull from if I want to take a trip or to pay for things like that. But maybe, I mean, my biggest thing is, do I just take that money and invest it? While Sharon's instinct to use whatever money she has left over after paying her bills and paying off her debts and building her short-term savings to invest for retirement and her other long-term goals is a good one and one that she's already making progress toward with her retirement investments, what she's still trying to figure out is that balance so many of us struggle with. How to optimize our dollars for both our financial futures and the lives we're living today. In other words, at what point can we trust that we're doing enough to optimize our money and give ourselves permission to spend some money to optimize our lifestyle, how we spend our time? I do like to travel and I am single and I'm tired of waiting. A lot of my friends are married. They have kids. My one friend who has two kids said, I feel guilty when I am spending money when it's just for my fun and doesn't include her whole family. And I was like, that's a lovely thought. (laughs) I don't have that problem. And I'm going to hightail it to Vermont. My guilt is, should I be spending this money that I've worked so hard for? I'm curious if you feel like you can trust yourself to use credit cards. No, not fully. Like this last bill that I paid was pretty high. I'd just gone to Nashville. And I didn't want to lose my debit card if I was out because that's connected to my bank. So I was like, I'm just going to use my one credit card. And I was like, okay, but I have the money. I could pay it off. But there's definitely still fear that I could very easily slip back into bad habits. I still use my little tracker to to make sure that I've paid everything on time. I think working towards that goal where I can use the credit card for more purchases and still feel okay. It's a new skill to be able to say, I'm okay, and I'm going to continue building wealth, but in a way that this is also my life. You know, I spent 20 years, basically, of my life stressing, and now it's like, okay, I'm only 41. I just went away 
on first trip since COVID. I'm sort of a novice traveler. I don't know how much things are supposed to cost. And I was like, well, is $2,300 too much to pay for all of that? So it was like, okay, shut up this side of my brain. That's like, no, that's too much money. But it still came back to, but you could do something else with that money. You should be saving that money. But I'm like, damn it, I want to go on this trip. But you know what? In having this conversation with you, I did work really hard, like looking at those numbers. I deserve to take a nice trip. When people get into I deserve language, it can be a slippery slope. But you are saying that because you looked at your numbers, which was really you saying, I can afford. That's a good way to frame it. Yes. And I wonder if something that would be helpful is separating out the money that is solely for this purpose in its own account, its own name make it something fun, your next destination, if it will feel more like that's what this money is for. That's a really good idea. I think I'm going to do that. I do need to look at the numbers more often so I can be like, girl, you can spend the money. You can go on the trip. The feelings Sharon is having and the questions she's asking herself about how to weigh her travel spending against all of her other financial goals is something that a lot of people are asking themselves these days, especially as summer approaches and travel restrictions lift. In fact, one 2021 survey found that nearly half of respondents said they were more likely to splurge on travel when COVID restrictions fully lifted, and a majority still plan to take a vacation regardless of whether travel prices were higher than usual. But That survey also found that only 58% of respondents had enough saved to pay for their travel plans, and 25% said they would take on debt to finance their vacation, which is a situation that Sharon definitely does not want to get back into. But with the right travel savings and budgeting strategies, she doesn't have to. So after the break, we'll be back to talk about how to maximize your money for travel and how to give yourself permission to enjoy the travel dollars you do spend without the guilt. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Angel Trin is the founder of Pennywise Traveler, where she shares her experiences traveling across all seven continents. But like Sharon, spending money on discretionary expenses like travel did take her some getting used to. 
Growing up in an immigrant household and also having student loan debt, you don't think you deserve something sometimes. Your parents don't even know finance. They don't have investments. You're paying for their retirement. So it's like you're under all this pressure because you just see money for cash flow. And I think for me, when I first got my job in advertising, that was like, oh, this is a gateway for me to move to New York City. And that advertising job paid me $35,000 a year. You have to be so creative. Speaking of getting creative, when she first came to New York City, Angel stayed with the host of the New York City couch surfing chapter. Couch surfing for the uninitiated is pretty much what it sounds like, staying with someone either on their couch or in a spare bedroom for free. But unlike staying with a friend or family member, couch surfers typically don't know each other and connect through online profiles, much like Airbnb, but without exchanging money. Looking back, you kind of wonder to yourself, did I really do that? Like sleep on some random person's couch while I was like apartment hunting and checking out different neighborhoods? I have done some things to travel on the cheap that have worked and that I've even enjoyed, but I wouldn't necessarily do now because there's always more than just the bottom line to consider, like your safety and your comfort and your time. But I will say that my experiences of traveling on a shoestring budget did teach me a lot about what travel could look like and how I could make trips or experiences that may have at one point felt inaccessible possible by thinking outside of the box, which is something Angel also has some experience with. I first started getting to travel hacking as a broke college student. I applied to a bunch of scholarships and grants, and I'm getting free housing, free tuition, and $7,000 in spending money to study abroad in Rome. And after studying abroad in Rome, Angel signed on to do some volunteer work that brought her to Botswana. Similarly, many of my own travels have been facilitated through work opportunities. From the Great Pyramid of Giza to the Great Wall of China, I have work to thank for funding many, if not most, of the destinations I've enjoyed. And while COVID certainly impacted volunteer and work opportunities, opportunities abroad, websites like World Packers and WorkAway that aggregate these kinds of opportunities are starting to see more activity. Thinking more creatively about travel through work, through school, maybe some exploring through internet networks. One of the things that was also really effective for me was sharing on social media if I was going somewhere. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to Vegas. People would comment and be like, hey, let me know if you need a place to stay. Or, hey, I'm working at Cirque du Soleil. Let me know if you want tickets. And even now that I have money, that openness to spontaneity, I think, is a really rich experience. It definitely is. Usually when I do a solo travel, I meet people at free walking tours. And you think about different websites like Couchsurfing, for example. They usually have a chapter pretty much everywhere. There's also other Facebook groups like Girls Love Travel and Wonderful. There always tends to be a lot of events. And if not, you can always be the one to initiate. Nowadays with technology and apps and everything, it's so different than how we used to travel too. It was only in the last few years before COVID that I started traveling with my smartphone. And Angel's right. It really changed what was possible. Not only could I more easily tap into online travel groups and local networks for more information, resources, and deals, I could also look up anything in real time, from nearby happy hours to lunch specials to public transit schedules to last-minute hotel deals to local free events calendars to Broadway show lotteries to free museum days. So many tools and resources and information with ways to save, all accessible in the palm of my hand 
at all times. When I was younger, I would try to penny pinch every single little dollar that I had and see like, what's the cheapest way for me to eat today? What's the cheapest way for me to do this? But at the same time, I felt like time is also money too. I made a big jump from making $35,000 a year to making six figures in tech, but that was a huge transition. I forget that sometimes I have money, that it's okay to have nice things. It reminds me recently when I was booking this trip to South Africa, it's the most expensive vacation I've ever taken. And I remember thinking the metrics I'm using for what a trip should cost are metrics I set when I made like a third as much money as I do now. And in some ways, I think it's good. But then sometimes I'm putting so much unnecessary stress on myself. It's just a huge shift. When I first started traveling, I stayed at the hostels. I stayed at couchsurfing. When you're so used to paying like $20 a night and then you start going to like a $100 hotel, you're like, whoa, that's a big shift for adding an extra digit. And I had to teach myself it's okay for me to have a room that is to myself with no one else there. I can have my own shower, my own bathroom, everything to myself. It's okay for me to enjoy the peace. So if you're doing yourself right, budgeting, you can always treat yourself to a nice vacation because you deserve all the work you did for budgeting yourself. And I do think it's different to do this in a conscious way. Lifestyle inflation is when you make more money, there's a tendency to spend more money and upgrade your life accordingly. But I think as long as you're upgrading your savings and investments or your debt payoff and your other financial goals, if you prioritize that upgrade and you still have money left over, then yeah. I think it's like a big mind shift where you have to think to yourself, will it help my lifestyle? And I felt like for me, it was more rewarding for myself to use the time to actually travel and pay off debt slower for myself. I know that a you-only-live-once or YOLO way of thinking can be a slippery slope to overspending and unnecessary debt, but instead of thinking of hashtag YOLO as a way to justify splurges and indulgences that I can't afford, I've come to think of it as a reminder that time is the one thing that I can't buy more of, no matter how much money I accumulate. So optimizing for the way I want to spend my time and then taking the steps to financially support those priorities is as important a skill to learn as any other financial strategy like saving or investing. When I lose sight of that and get overly focused on optimizing my money for money's sake, that's when I start to struggle with feelings of unnecessary stress and guilt for spending money on the things that I love and care about, like travel. And as Angel mentioned, time has value, much like money. And if you wait until you've paid off all of your debts or are making six figures or have saved a million dollars to start living your life in alignment with those values, the costs can be just as real and arguably harder to recover from. Because while you can make more money, you can't make more time. So for me, any financial plan should not only be building toward financial security with a debt payoff plan and emergency fund savings and retirement investments, it should also include a spending plan or budget or whatever you want to call it that optimizes for your lifestyle priorities. That is how you want to spend your time. And yes, that might mean paying off your debt and growing your investments a little bit slower, but it also takes into account the true value of time by creating space in your budget to spend on the things you love, whether it's travel or something else entirely along the way. Now, if you're like me or Angel or our listener this week and travel is one of your priorities, beyond building travel spending and savings into your budget, there is another very popular way to pay for those priorities. And that 
is utilizing credit card rewards to get free or discounted travel. Personally, I've leveraged my credit card rewards for international flights, hotel stays, and what must have amounted to, at this point, tens of thousands of dollars in free travel. And unlike the free travel of my couch surfing days, the flexibility of my credit card rewards has given me access to luxury travel experiences like five-star hotel stays that would not otherwise fit my travel budget if I were paying for them out of pocket. So personally, leveraging my credit card rewards for free travel is one of my favorite travel saving strategies, with the major caveats being that, one, to access some of the best rewards credit cards, you generally need an excellent credit score. Two, if you make late payments on your credit cards or do not pay the balance in full each statement cycle, the interest and fees you pay will likely outweigh whatever benefits you get from using the card. And three, if chasing credit card rewards and sign-up bonuses is going to push you to spend more money than you normally would, it basically defeats the whole purpose. So it's not something to pursue lightly, especially if, like Sharon, you've struggled to use credit cards responsibly in the past, and there is some legwork to understanding how to accumulate and maximize credit card rewards for free travel most effectively, which is most of what Angel talks about at Pennywise Traveler. But for the purposes of this conversation, I wanted to get Angel's insights on how to get started, especially if you've never used a rewards credit card before. So I would say the first thing I look at for the credit card is a first the annual fee. What are the benefits on the credit card? So does the benefits outweigh the annual fee? Like does it have global entry? Does it have airport lounges? What are the extra perks I have on this credit card that would make me want to keep this credit card? So when I'm considering a new rewards credit card, I like to pull up the page where all the fee information and all of the benefit information is listed out so I can really understand the full costs and benefits to see if it's worth it for me based on the services I know I already like and use. And you can find this information with an easy internet search. Now, I have some credit cards that have no annual fees, and I have some credit cards with annual fees over $500, which, let's be honest, is a lot of money. But I know that for me, as a frequent traveler, I'm redeeming well over $500 in benefits that I get from those cards, with access to airport lounges, for example, annual credits toward my travel expenses, no foreign transaction fees, TSA pre-check and global entry credits, and much more. That said, when I signed up for my first rewards credit card, I was definitely not using enough of those perks to justify that kind of cost. So I stuck with no annual fee or low annual fee credit cards while I was still learning about how to earn and use my credit card rewards for travel. Now, the whole point of credit card rewards is to benefit from the spending you're already doing. So another big consideration I have when choosing a rewards credit card is understanding what kind of spending that particular card rewards. For example, as someone who lives in New York City, I don't particularly prioritize credit cards that offer more rewards for purchases at gas stations because I'm not driving and buying gas all that often. So when you opt for a rewards credit card, you want to make sure you're choosing one with rewards that align well with the spending you actually do as Angel breaks down. 
Every month, break down your budgets. See what your past month, what you spent the most on. So let's say like you saw that you're spending a lot on groceries, on dining, then you know that you might potentially want to look into a credit card that has a reward for that. If you're just spending on a bunch of different other random things, but it's not really like a specific category, I would get like a card that gives you 2x on everything. And there's no annual fee cards for that too. But I would say look in your past statements and see what you're spending the most money on. So you want to optimize to see what your expenses are in general before you get a travel credit card. Because let's say like your student loan debt. You don't want to rush into getting a credit card if you want to prioritize paying off your debt first. You can always take little steps on the way. You don't have to go crazy and get a bunch of different credit cards at once. It's okay to start slow and say, I'm just going to get a normal everyday card that gets 2x on everything. Then I can optimize to see what credit card I need best. Do I need a grocery credit card? Do I need a credit card that gets 3x on gas? Is that better for me? Because everyone's situation is so different. I wonder if you do have some criteria of who should or shouldn't use credit cards. I would say if you're still in the stages where you can't manage your money very well, definitely stay away from credit cards because you're going to get yourself in more debt because the travel credit cards, those have the highest APRs. I think people get too caught up in getting the travel credit card because it's like a flex. Sometimes you're like, oh, well, I have this credit card. And I'm like, but if you don't know how to use it and you still have debt from other things, too many times people get caught up seeing what other people are doing. So they feel so pressured, but everybody has a different story. The Instagram picture doesn't show the behind the scenes. I think to your point about really understanding where you are and where your financial habits are and also just understanding that a credit card is more than the shiny points offer and the cashback or the rewards. I definitely think it's very important to pay off your credit cards in full. And if you can, always put auto pay on because you never want to forget anything. Now, speaking of shiny points offers, the other thing you often see on rewards credit cards are welcome bonuses. For example, you might see an offer of 50,000 bonus points after you spend $4,000 on purchases in the first three months of having the card. And those points could be worth as much as $750 worth of travel when you go to redeem them. So yeah, that could be very appealing. But you still want to take a step back and make sure the card is actually going to work for you first. If you're not someone who who spends that much money on your credit card already, you don't want to get into a position where you're just trying to spend money to hit the $4,000 in purchases you need to get the $750 worth of travel because that defeats the whole purpose. For sign-up bonuses, it's not always about the highest points offer. Before I look over on the sign-up bonus, it depends on what does a credit card offer to me. So is it free global entry? Is there airport lounges? Is there auto collision damage waiver for the car rental? What does it offer for me based on the benefits and how can I use those benefits to help myself to make money and save money. As for redeeming the points and rewards you accumulate through your credit card spending for your actual travels, there are a lot of different strategies. In fact, there's a whole industry of websites and blogs and what are called travel hacking experts dedicated to helping you optimize your rewards so that you can get the most bang for your buck when you redeem them. But again, you can start simple. I, for example, use a lot of rewards credit cards with transferable points, meaning I can transfer my points to use at different airline partners or hotel partners flexibly. As opposed to having a credit card with rewards, you can only redeem with one airline, for example, and maybe some of that airline's direct partners. I think it's all about figuring out where you want to go. So let's say I'm going to Mexico. I would actually Google travel hacking to Mexico using credit cards or on points. So then I could read the latest articles on the internet and see what different credit card partners people use to see how you can get there. 
Once you redeem credit card rewards for your first free flight or hotel stay or entire vacation, it's easy to see why there's so much excitement around rewards credit cards, particularly as a travel saving strategy. And if it works for you, you can continue learning more about earning, redeeming, and maximizing those rewards for even more travel on sites like The Points Guy and Million Mile Secrets, or by following frequent rewards travelers like Angel. But again, this kind of travel saving strategy is not for everyone. If you already carry a credit card balance or a lot of other consumer debt, if your credit score isn't very high, if you'd have to spend a lot more or a lot differently than you already do just to get the rewards you're after, it's truly not worthwhile and can cost you far more than anything you would gain. The key with credit card rewards is seeing if there's a card that will allow you to benefit from the spending you're already doing. For example, when I was planning my wedding, I was using a rewards credit card to pay for everything. Then I'd pay off the card in full every couple of weeks, and by the time my wedding was over, I had accumulated enough rewards to redeem for a little post-wedding mini-moon to Spain. So in that way, credit card rewards, when used carefully and thoughtfully, can be a great way to access and afford more travel. But it doesn't have to be all about the credit cards either. Thinking more creatively and expansively about travel in general can open up a lot more opportunity. For example, by building travel around your social networks or work or volunteer opportunities or by tapping into online travel communities that align with your interests. Plus, there's tons of cost-cutting techniques you can try that range from the simple, like traveling in the off-season or to more cost-effective destinations, to the more complicated, like arranging an entire travel itinerary around low-cost public transit schedules. Only you can decide on what tactics work best for you based on the time, money, energy, and resources you have available. But if travel is a priority for you, and if it is a way of spending your time that aligns with your values, then it's certainly worth finding more time, money, energy, and resources to dedicate to it as part of your plans today, and not just at some unspecified future date when you finally have your finances perfectly figured out. Because for most of us, that will always be a work in progress, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't find more ways to enjoy the journey. This has been Money Confidential from Real Simple. If you or someone you know needs money help from our experts, send us an email at money.confidential at realsimple.com or leave us a voice message at 929-352-4106. Be sure to follow Money Confidential on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we would love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we would really appreciate it. You can also find us at realsimple.com slash Money Confidential podcast. Come back next week when I'll be speaking to Dr. Daryl Fairweather about whether now is the right time to become a first-time homeowner.